Welcome to Business in Great Waters. I'm Jen Holmgren. For this episode, I was privileged and honored to conduct my first interview on BGW with several of the many incredible people involved with the Cape Ann Museum. In the spirit of full disclosure, I serve on the Cape Ann Museum Community Engagement Committee. More on that in just a minute. In the meantime, I'll read some info to you from the Cape Ann Museum website and then we'll dive right into the interview. I conducted the interview via Zoom, so please forgive the occasional artifact or mouse click. I'm still trying to figure out some of this technology stuff. Still, I think you'll agree when you hear it. I could listen to Oliver, Miranda, Amanda, and Susie talk about the Cape Ann Museum all day. Mission Statement The mission of the Cape Ann Museum is to foster an appreciation of the quality and diversity of life on Cape Ann, past and present, to further the knowledge and enjoyment of Cape Ann history and art, to collect and preserve significant information and artifacts, and to encourage community involvement with its programs and holdings. In all its activities, the museum emphasizes the highest standards of quality and seeks to engage the broadest possible audience. And here's a little about the Cape Ann Museum. The Cape Ann Museum, founded in 1875 as the Cape Ann Scientific and Literary Association, has antecedents reaching back to the early days of the 19th century, when New England was being swept with the spirit of cultural revival. After some adjustments to its name and purpose, the association acquired its first permanent headquarters in the early 1920s, the Captain Elias Davis House, built in 1804. Located on Captain's Row in downtown Gloucester, on Pleasant Street, the Davis House remains part of the present-day museum. During this same period, the association acquired the collections of the Gloucester Historical Society and began assembling its own collections in fine art, decorative arts, fisheries and maritime history, books, photographs, and other historical artifacts. By the 1930s, it became necessary to build a gallery adjoining the Davis House to accommodate the growing collections. The new space also included an auditorium which enabled the association to provide cultural programming for the community. The history of the association was affected profoundly when Alfred Mansfield Brooks, a Harvard-trained professor of art history, became its president in 1940. His roots were in Gloucester, so after retiring from academia, he returned to spend nearly 30 years building the association's collections. He believed that Gloucester native Fitzhenry Lane, 1804-1865, would eventually hold a preeminent place among 19th century American artists. Brooks began assembling what is now the largest and finest collection of Lane paintings in the country. In the 1960s, the growth of the collections prompted yet another expansion, a two-story wing with more galleries and storage space. An entire gallery was devoted to the area's fishing and maritime heritage. The association began its most extensive expansion program in the late 1980s when it bought an adjacent building. Graham Gund Architects developed a plan with atrium galleries on three levels to link the buildings and with new or renovated galleries in the two buildings. Throughout the 1990s, the association continued to construct space, more than doubling the size of the museum. The most recent construction provided the museum with a 1,600-square-foot gallery, which features changing exhibitions. The space is dramatic, with a ceiling that rises to 24 feet at its center. 
A sculpture garden at the museum's entrance displays the work of sculptors Albert Henry Atkins, Walker Hancock, George Dimitrios, and Ken Fruby. In 2007, the museum's board voted to adopt the name Cape Ann Museum with the accompanying tagline, Art, History, Culture. The new name was chosen to more accurately describe the focused but expansive nature of the museum's mission and to strengthen the museum's commitment to the people of Cape Ann and to the preservation and presentation of its rich traditions of art, history, and culture. Today, the museum is a vibrant cultural center, which includes galleries and auditorium, a library and archives, a children's activity center, two sculpture gardens, and two historic homes. The Cape Ann Museum Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Commitment, approved by the Cape Ann Museum Board on September 23, 2021. As a steward of the art, history, and culture of Cape Ann, the Cape Ann Museum is committed to accurately and fully representing the lived experience of all those who have been part of this region's history and are part of its story today. Through our ongoing scholarship and community engagement, the museum strives to develop an understanding and appreciation of Cape Ann's continuously unfolding narrative, both past and present, and commits to representing it in our permanent collection, archives, exhibitions, and programs, as well as in our communications and workplace. The effort to become an equitable and inclusive organization will always be in process, and the museum will maintain this commitment as a living document that is core to our ongoing growth and relevance. We, we recognize that historically, museums have not felt welcoming and relevant to all communities. The Cape Ann Museum aims to shift that paradigm through our commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility by exploring deeply what those terms mean to our community and putting them into practice across all aspects of the museum. We follow the definitions of diversity, equity, accessibility, and inclusion put forward by our colleagues at the American Alliance of Museums. The Cape Ann Museum Community Engagement Committee, comprised of staff, board, volunteers, and community stakeholders, is currently developing a set of action steps that will be revisited annually to ensure that the museum is continuing to work towards these goals. To become a truly equitable and inclusive organization, visitors of all backgrounds must not only feel welcomed, but also be able to relate to our programs, people, and collections. We are actively seeking input from community members and museum visitors on how the Cape Ann Museum can become a more diverse, equitable, inclusive, and accessible organization.
Welcome. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me uh, for Business in Great Waters. It's lovely to see all your faces, even if it's on Zoom. Uh, I'm uh, here uh, with Oliver Barker, the Executive Director of the Cape Ann Museum, Miranda Ashling, Head of Education and Engagement, Amanda Pollock, the Events and Stewardship Manager, and Susie Natty, Susanna Natty, a uh, member of the Board of Directors of the Cape Ann Museum. Welcome all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to do a, a brief uh, interview uh, with you all about the Capean Museum, which is a uh, flagship institution of Gloucester and Capean. Uh, it's very important to all of us, and um, I just uh, uh, thank you all very much for your service to the community in this way. And uh, I was wondering if you could all... Uh, each give me a little history of your roles at the Capian Museum, um, how long you've been there, what uh, made you decide to get involved in the way that you are, um, and uh, maybe we'll start with Oliver. Of course, Jen. Well, thank you for that very kind introduction. Uh, it's a privilege, uh, I know I can speak on behalf of my colleagues here too, to say that it is a privilege to serve the community in the ways that we do. Um, as as director of, uh, of the Cape Ann Museum, um, I, I joined the museum in April of 2019, so I think technically I've been there for three and a half years. There have been um, an exciting three and a half years for a whole variety of reasons, some of them within our control, others beyond our control, of course, <laughs> with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but my role is obviously to steward this wonderful institution that will be turning 150 in 2025 um, through this next exciting phase um, of its growth. It's strategic growth in that um, I always talk about or people always refer in conversation with me to the Cape Ann Museum as a hidden gem. And um, whilst uh, we love the fact that we're a gem, our goal um, through all of our initiatives, uh, our exhibitions, our programs, our community outreach is really to take the hidden out of gem. And I know you're going to be hearing from some of my colleagues today who have uh, been absolutely instrumental in helping us achieve that. So um, thank you for this opportunity and I'll, I'll pass it back to you. Thank you, Oliver. Well said. Uh, all right, uh, Miranda? Sure, so thanks, Jen. And uh, I think you mentioned this, but it's also such a joy to have you on the Community Engagement Committee. Thank you. Um, which has been one of my pleasures to bring to the museum. So I am the head of education and engagement, as you mentioned. And um, I came to the museum at the end of 2020 when we were really in the midst of what to do now. The pandemic had been going on for nine months. Programs were completely paused, as was understandable across the whole world at that point. Um, and so I was brought in, I think, in particular because of my background as a community artist and a community organizer. Um, I began my career in museums 10 years ago at the Museum of Fine Arts as an arts educator, uh, but actually haven't been in a traditional institution since then in the intervening seven years. And so it's been a real joy to come back and work with an institution that has such a bulwark of history and connection to the community, but also a real desire to stay up to date with the times and change with the times and mm -hmm. make sure that we're including the voices of everyone in Cape Ann. So a big part of my work has been doing that active outreach and, and so much of active outreach is really just listening to hear what our community wants to see from us and what our community wants to see offered, which maybe they don't have the resources to offer. 
Um, for example, we recently did Brazilian Independence Day and we were able to lend institutional support to a community desire that had actually been talked about for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So we were able to play the role of, of facilitator and supporter um, so that's a big part of what I try to do well, of course, also continuing the more traditional museum education approaches, lecture series to make sure that we're continuing education and engagement with our collection while also growing the definition of what that means. Nice. I can't wait for the next Brazilian Independence Day celebration either. Thank you, Miranda. Uh, Amanda? Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Amanda Pollock, and I am the Events and Stewardship Manager at the Museum. I started my role here in July of 2019, um, right at the thick of running into our Homer exhibition, which was a really exciting time and a great opportunity to engage with so many people who were experiencing the museum for the first time. So that was really energizing and exciting. Um, I stayed in visitor services for two years um, and this new position is um, is really fun. Um, I'm working closely with our members and hopefully getting new members here at the museum. I work closely with Miranda and getting knowledge about the um, upcoming events and programs out into the community. Um, I've worked with the Chamber of Commerce and Discover Gloucester and lots of sharing of information so it's really exciting to see more and more people engaging with the museum because of all of these great programs and um, community engagement opportunities. Very exciting. And Amanda, you were at the museum a while back, weren't you? You, oh. right? <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> I did work in the museum in the late 1990s oh. when I was in high school and oh. I um, delivered mail a lot. I brought lots of things to the post office and picked up lots of copies. <laughs> and sometimes I moonlit at the front desk. So it was a fun um, first experience at the museum. Um, I got to see some really great exhibitions during my time there. And it's really fun to visit it again at almost 40 as a staff member. So it's been really fun. What a cool I like to call Amanda our first teen council member. <laughs> first teen Love member. it. I think it was. 16 or 17. I was really young when I when I was here. So you were you were the first teen council I'm member. I love that. Oh my goodness. Oh, thank you, Amanda. Thank and you. Uh, finally, Susie. Great. Thanks, Jen. Well, I, I was going to make the claim to be actually to my surprise being the longest lived person associated with museum because I joined as a board member, I think six or seven years ago. But I think Amanda, you just <laughs> that slot. <laughs> um, I grew up in Gloucester and, and I remember the museum when it was still the historical society. So you could be sure I've seen a vast amount of changing. It was a much smaller institution then. And uh, so when I joined the board, uh, I eventually made my way to what was then the audience engagement committee. And at that point, um, just when Oliver was coming in, the museum was making some very intentional uh, changes about looking more outward. Rhonda Falloon's stewardship was incredible. I just loved the museum and got really hooked then. Um, and I've been very excited to be the chair of the community engagement committee with Miranda as my staff counterpart, uh, because I've actually been able to witness the 
putting into action some of those great aspirations for bringing together more community. Wonderful. It's been lovely working with you, all of you. Thank you. Thank you all so much. One of the great things about the, the museum is that the staff, the board members, everybody, it's such a great energy. We feed each other. That I, I get so much out of it. I feel like I've got a, a new day of my life here. <laughs> Yay! No, the, everybody you know, is there for the right reasons. I to that, thinking about the reach of your podcast, and congratulations again on this uh, this new podcast you've established. We're very excited for you. and Thank you. Um, flattered that you would uh, think about interviewing us all uh, um, as part of this uh, new outreach that you're making. I thought it might be helpful just in brief to let those people who are joining you and us perhaps for the first time speak a little bit about the museum and what we stand for. Yes, please. Um, um, the, I mentioned earlier that we will be celebrating our 150th anniversary in 2025. And um, for anyone who hasn't visited the museum yet, um, yet being the operative word, because we hope after this podcast you will, mm -hmm. um, uh, the museum really uh, exists to tell the very unique story of this place, the area of Cape Ann, the four municipalities that make up Cape Ann of Gloucester, Rockport, um, Essex and Manchester. And uh, we exist to tell the story of how this uh, wonderful area of this land has uh, changed the course of American art and American history. Um, and, uh, and so anyone who comes to the museum will experience um, uh, wonderful displays dedicated to the granite industry, um, to the fishing industry, which in its heyday in the 1890s um, was America's largest seaport. Um, uh, obviously, things have changed, and yet uh, the fishing industry is still uh, ingrained in our collective cultural identity. Uh, and uh, as an institution, we're very conscious of that and very committed to telling the stories of this place from um, yesterday, from today, but also projecting uh, and trying to capture the stories that are, are going to have yet to happen. So um, we have wonderful permanent collections and uh, truly tremendous temporary exhibition displays. Uh, so I just wanted to put that plug in for who we are and what we do as an institution. Lovely. Well, that actually, that leads into my next question. So thank you. That's wonderful, Oliver. Thank you very much. I, I, I've um, seen and been a very small part of the incredible changes that the Cape Ann Museum is going through right now. Uh, and they seem to be moving in parallel with the redefinition of the, the idea of the museum and the institution of the museum all over the world. So would it be possible um, for one of you or, or several of you um, to elaborate on why it was necessary to make these changes in this moment and how the Cape Ann Museum has sort of harnessed that energy? I can certainly start off and encourage others to jump in. I, I think uh, when I joined in 2019, um, there was there was a, an appropriate moment for reassessment and uh, in thinking about the uh, big anniversary that we have coming up and that we've been around for, for a reasonable amount of time and we would love to be around for the next 150 years. Um, we did take that opportunity as a staff and as a board to think about who, who we wanted to be um, uh, as we move forward. I will share that the um, pandemic in a way was a silver lining because there was an opportunity during our uh, enforced closure for those six months to, to reassess the things that we do, um, the things that we do well and the things that we could do better. 
and uh, as a result of that and with hiring Miranda and other uh, uh, team members, um, we were able to sort of change our course, open up our institution and make a real commitment to um, relevant and authentic um, exhibition and program offerings that we hope resonate now with, with our community. I, I, um, I do think that we, have, we are succeeding. It's an ongoing task where we have to hold our, uh, our own feet proverbially to the fire and say, uh, um, are we really servicing this community in the ways that we are committed to doing? And uh, I, Miranda, your mention of the Brazilian um, Day celebration is a great example that uh, in some of my first days at the museum, I had heard about the Brazilian community in Gloucester. Um, uh, and uh, we were very conscious of wanting to do something with, with them and for them so that they see themselves um, in our institution. Um, uh, the challenge we have is that we want everyone to feel welcome and really avail themselves of the museum as their resource. Um, so um, it's an exciting place. We have a wonderful platform as an institution and uh, uh, we, are, we are committed to using it in, as I say, relevant and, and, and meaningful ways that service our community. I'd like to add that a really exciting event for me in terms of what Oliver just said was the Juneteenth celebration. It was incredibly thrilling as a board member to be there with so many people on a horrible weather day at the Cape End Museum Green. It was 50 degrees raining and still 400 people showed up of all generations. The excitement was palpable. The, the, the vibe was just so joyful. It was everything that I hoped a museum event could be. I completely agree. Well, maybe I'll follow up on that because we've mentioned a bunch of these programs. And I think to get back to your question, Jen, of uh, I'm really interested in the work we're doing in the greater context of museums, because I think you're right. I think museums all around the world are navigating a shift in what is a museum? What does it do? Who is it for? How do we make sure that people from a wide variety of backgrounds and experiences feel welcome? which historically they haven't in all museums, right? If you trace the history of museums, they were generally started by a wealthy class that was mostly white. Um, and we have our own role in that. And so I think it's really exciting to be back in the museum world for me as a community artist and organizer at a time when we can have these conversations because um, they really weren't happening as much 10 years ago when I first started working in museums. Um, and it's been so interesting. I was just looking at the New England Museum Association's conference coming up. Everyone is having these dialogues. And I think for my view, part of the reason for that is a sharing of power that's happening across the country and across the world and, and a changing of demographics, right? The entire country of the United States is having massive demographic change. Um, and Gloucester is too, um, and our institutions need to figure out how to navigate that, thinking specifically as an educator, the diversity in our kindergarten as opposed to our high school is really different in Gloucester, and it's continuing to change. So our hope is that through this work we're doing, we can make sure to be relevant and engaging and reach the broadest audience possible uh, in a way that they, they see themselves in this institution as part of this community. That's great. Um, 
Amanda, have you seen an increase in um, in enrollment, in membership, um, or uh, even just foot traffic, um, uh, especially this summer, where uh, people are sort of coming out of their shells after, I guess, the, the height of the pandemic is over? Our membership is certainly starting to pick up a little bit, um, but I will say we've had a lot of people local to the area come into the museum for the first time, especially, I think, during the pandemic, people really weren't traveling very far. So it really, um, it was a time where people really got to know their community. And, and part of that was coming to the Cape Ann Museum. Oh. So we saw lots of people coming in with their family and maybe joining at, you know, at a first time membership and, and then bringing in, bringing in new people, bringing in friends or, or taking a walking tour. So it was a really fun way that people sort of rediscovered where they lived and, and found the museum so that was really fun to see and yes we have new members and and new visitors finding the hidden gem unhiding it oh i love that. Hiding that gem. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so uh Besides uh, the uh, the very big events, uh, the Juneteenth event, the Brazilian Independence Day event, uh, what are some other things that the museum does? Um, the, the Teen Council, uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that, Miranda? What is that? Oh, oh. this program guide ready. To oh, yes. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So we do a whole variety. I want to make sure we give the, since we don't have any uh, representatives from curatorial library too, that we acknowledge oh. that, you know, a lot of the work we do is based, all of the work we do is based in the incredible collections that we have here, both of our uh, art objects and historical objects. Um, one of my uh, major projects, as Jen mentioned, is the is the Teen Council, and a big part of what we do with them is demystify museums, is help them understand all of the careers that happen inside cultural institutions, all of the opportunities for personal engage engagement, whether that's vocational or professional, or just personal um, at cultural institutions. Um, we actually, very excitedly, just received a massive grant to support this project which is great news. Congrats. And, um, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I think it goes to show, I was talking to some of our colleagues from the Mass Cultural Council who also received this grant, that students who participate in things like a teen council become more civically engaged, become more socially engaged, continue to go to art institutions for the rest of their lives. So a big part of this for us is a paid opportunity, first of all, so the teens know that they're valued, so that they see their contributions. Um, they get to meet staff members everywhere from our security guard to our executive director and board members um, and to see, you know, people tend to think of the curator or the head of programs and they may not realize what a photo archivist is. They might not know what a director of operations is. Um, so our team council get to learn about all of that and then are responsible for conveying that to their peers. Could I just you, no. Going back a, a, a little bit uh, before to sort of the whole idea of community engagement, we don't want to miss the impact of the um, the Cape Ann Museum Green and the Janet and William Ellery James Center. How that space has really been opening out to the community. Um, not to mention that I think it's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean. It's location just being at the gateway of Gloucester you as you drive into the city it's it's there it's present but it's also in the neighborhood it's walkable it's a walkable museum um, and I think just really it's 
it, it's setting alone allows us to be represented by so many we're, we're there and um, we've had so many visitors that just show up on bike or by foot and I think that's really special. It's, it's a really great point Susie that it has um, enabled the museum to enact its desire to really open its doors literally to the community uh, and so we, we're very fortunate that um, the change in our approach um, uh, was was mirrored by this opportunity to realize the Cape Air Museum and the Janet and William Ellery James Center, which is a game changer for us to have a center um, that is uh, contains state-of-the-art storage and also a very forward-facing um, exhibition space where we can show more contemporary art, particularly three-dimensional art. Um, mm. Ideally, um, in conversation so that uh, uh, there are going to be occasions where we'll actually open up the big roller door that's at the front of that space and, and have a continuous exhibition indoor and out. Um, we're using that uh, space as well now for all sorts of community programs. We've had yoga on the green. Um, there's a special movement for uh, people with Parkinson's uh, and oh, uh, just wonderful things happening there. This fall, you asked, Jen, about... Um, Upcoming uh, programs, we've got uh, our assistant curator, uh, Leon Doucette, who's an incredibly talented artist in his own right, who is actually going to be teaching a course of drawing. Um, we're going to be taking out sculptures wow. from um, from our storage and using them as the subject matter uh, to help people um, learn how to draw. And uh, so we, we, we're excited about that and... and uh, um, Knowing that uh, that we have Susie and Miranda here and yourself in terms of community engagement, I, we should highlight the, the wonderful upcoming celebration on the 24th of September, Indigenous Peoples Day, which um, it is, we hope, going to be one of the signature events from um, Gloucester So Salty in January to, uh, to Juneteenth, of course, in the summer, uh, and now... Um, We've just talked about the Brazilian festival, but then Indigenous Peoples Day on the September the 24th. It's uh, mm -hmm. going to be a wonderful opportunity working with um, uh, a number of Indigenous groups to celebrate their very long history um, uh, in this place that we now call Gloucester and Cape Ann. Uh, but they, they are a place where they actually, um, uh, uh, or their, their, their um, um, ancestors came. Uh, and utilize this this land uh, for the past ten and a half, twelve thousand years. So, um, so Miranda, I don't know if you want to share more about the specifics of the day, but really excited that we are going to be able to use the Cape Air Museum Green Campus and the James Center to bring the community together around another important celebration. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I'll just clarify: Indigenous Peoples Day is in is in. Um, uh, October, we're doing Indigenous Heritage Day uh, on September 21st, uh, 24th, 2022. And uh, we're really uh, having a great time working with partners who are Mashpee Wampanoag and who run a curatorial firm called Smoke Signals. Um, mm. And they have um, worked with an artisan called Darius Coons, who is also Wampanoag. And he's taken two artifacts from our Indigenous collection, which are stone artifacts from fishing weights that indigenous peoples used here over a thousand years ago. And he took those artifacts and re-added the natural elements that have decayed. Um, and this is part of trying to help engagement. Um, you look at a stone artifact and it's a thousand years old and you might think, cool, 
have no idea what this is used for. I have no idea who made it. So a big part of the role of curation and education at a museum is the interpretation of the objects, um, particularly through these partnerships. So um, Darius Coombs added nets and sticks backed to these weights so you'll actually be able to come on that day and see these objects reinterpreted using traditional ancestral methods by the Wampanoag. And then they'll be part of our maritime gallery. And this is part of our ongoing commitment to make sure that the accurate and truthful native history and native contemporary reality of this area is included throughout our institution, not just in an opening corner where so often native history is kept in a past tense, um, but really incorporated over time throughout the rest of our institution. And we wanna parallel this work with um, black history, with women's history, with LGBTQ plus history, and all of that has many different uh, elements and difficulties and challenges and joys in terms of reclaiming, rediscovering, and retelling this history. Um, so September 24th is part of that. Darius Coons will be there to present these objects. We'll also have a performance from the Wampanoag Nation singers and dancers. Um, and our recent addition, uh, Danielle Greenbear, who just wrote a book, a children's book, which is the Wampanoag Perspective on Thanksgiving. So she'll do story time with her new book there to start the day at 1230. Wow. I cannot wait. I can't wait. I had it in my calendar already, but knowing the <laughs> specifics of what's going to happen. Oh my goodness. That's going to be amazing. Be a fantastic day. So. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping just like Oliver said, the first of many, both in terms of that day, but also in terms of ongoing partnership with native community members, especially leading to the Gloucester 400 plus anniversary next year and beyond. Yes, indeed. Oh my goodness. Thank you all so much for your work. Uh, I was wondering if you could um, uh, maybe tell me uh, what, each 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 of you, if you have a favorite exhibit at the KPN Museum, uh, what is it? <laughs> it doesn't have to be just one. That's well, it's never going to be just one, I don't think. Well, I, not not for me at least. I, I will say every time uh, my colleagues they all work so hard, and I want to emphasize it's a real team effort. You know, we have the privilege of joining you today, but um, for those again who are new to the museum or perhaps just aren't as familiar. We have a staff of uh, just under 20. We have a board of about the same number. Um, and beyond that, uh, there are many other um, volunteers, community volunteers such as yourself, Jen, who, who support the museum. We have a wonderful group of um, over 50 docents who help really um, illuminate the story for our visitors in the galleries twice daily. So I just want to emphasize that whilst there are four of us here, um, we, we do the things that we do thanks to the, the tremendous community support um, and volunteer support the museum receives. Um, that said, you've asked us all to tell you about um, our most favorite exhibition. And um, uh, I'm not going to uh, just narrow it down to one, but I am going to tell you about one show that's actually up until just Sunday, which I think is fantastic and speaks to um, the museum's real community focus. And that's an exhibition that we have called uh, Family-Owned Fishing Vessels. Yeah. Uh, about a year ago, the museum made an open call to the community via Facebook and other social media, uh, uh, and also actually in coordination with uh, a wonderful article that came out in the Gloucester Daily Times, we invited anyone who has a connection, past or present, to the fishing industry to share with us um, 
uh, that they, the ways in which they signify that uh, that connection in their own homes. It may be they have a photograph of a loved one who was a fisherman. Uh, perhaps they commissioned a portrait or a, a ship's model that was um, uh, that attests to, to to that important connection. And so we ended up with over 150 submissions, uh, and they're all on view through Sunday. And it's particularly exciting to see the range of art and artifacts that uh, people have in their homes and were willing to share with us. And most importantly, um, those artifacts are also coupled with an invitation to record your story. Uh, anyone going to the museum's website, uh, uh, even after the exhibition has ended on Sunday, can record their story. We are asking uh, four or five specific questions about uh, a person's connection to the industry. Uh, you're asked to share a 90-second story with us. Uh, if you'd like to share a longer one with us, we're interested in that too. Please do be in touch. But it's all part of a commitment of really uh, making sure that this community knows that it's their stories that matter to us. So um, uh, that's one of many exhibitions I can highlight, but I'm going to turn it over to others to speak about other shows that interest them. I'll jump in. Okay. I can narrow it down to three if I better really, really, you know, just get my arm twisted. Um, and some of them are just personal because, you know, I've had family that has things that are in the museum. The Folly Cove Designer Room is really probably at the heart of my first involvement uh, with the museum because I had family involved in that. And there were two other things I want to mention that just take my breath away. And one is the beautiful sculpture about Walker Hancock of the War Memorial with the angel holding the soldier. I, I, it's so emotional to see that. And the other that takes my breath away is the collection of um, portraits of fishing families. They are so beautiful. And they stop me in my tracks every time. Same here. I'll share. <laughs> I have a love of printmaking, um, and my, I grew up, my father was a printer, um, obviously not block printing, but just seeing that um, the transfer of ink on paper has always been fascinating to me. So I just have such a love for the Folly Cove collection. But I will say, being in this museum every day, I find something new, even three years later, I, uh, you know, the light will hit a painting a certain way and I will, on my way to the front desk or to see Trenton downstairs in the library, I might stop and look at something new and it's like looking at it for the first time. So I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, there's things that are part of our permanent collection, but you see them in a new way and they, they sort of grow on you and you find a new love. And the other thing that I just think is so cool is the Fresnel lens. It's just an amazing thing to have in the collection. And just the, the way the light fills that room, it's so beautiful. And it always stops me in my tracks. I, I don't think I've ever just walked by that piece. <laughs> it's a favorite. Well, I'm going to do a kind of cop out, which is to say <laughs> that <laughs> rather than a specific exhibit, what I love most about the collections in this museum is how personal they are. I think institutions of this kind so often put up walls uh, in order to be more um, elegant and all these things. And um, what I love best about the KPN Museum's collections is that items in the granite display came from my friend's mother's house. 
and items in the Folly Cove display were made by Susie's mother. And Walker Hancock's sculptures were sculpted a five minute walk from where I live. And I and the pictures of the fishermen, um, you know, are people that people recognize. The oars from Fiesta that are on display, some of which were painted by our security guard's father. I mean, it's just it it deepens the relationship with art in a way that the giant and impressive museums like the MFA and the Met that we all love to go to, they don't have the personal connection we have. And I think it's so incredible that we can have the personal connection and the art historical relevance um, and the cultural relevance all in the same place. Um, so that really ties into my work in education and engagement is I, I want everyone to be able to feel that when they walk into the museum and say, that's my aunt, that's my uncle, that's my best friend, that's my pastor, that's my daughter, that's my youth leader. Um, so I will say specifically to that point, and I, this is so self-serving, but my favorite exhibitions are the ones that we've done so far with eighth graders and seeing Aww. children's art displayed professionally in a professional institution and then having those children join the teen council to make new exhibitions and to support new students making work, um, including an upcoming one called A View From My Window in response to the major Edward Hopper upcoming exhibition, which will be on display this spring. Mm. The kids work well. <laughs> Wow. Oh. I was right. <laughs> Thank you all and so very much. Well said, Miranda, and I think the, you know, emphasizing the, the, the personal and the place is, is something that we are so committed to doing. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, I know we all have a bias, and, and um, as we should, uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, uh, place, and we are so privileged to be the stewards of telling the stories that we do. Um, and yes, Miranda, I think. Uh, um, it's not self-serving at all. The, the work that you're doing with the eighth graders um, in all Cape Ann Museum schools is so important to who we want to be as an institution and need to be as a, as a museum for the 21st century. So the view from my window, in, in, uh, which will be on view in our uh, main third floor galleries next May, is a very significant offering by the museum. And it will be followed, of course, by our wonderful Edward Hopper um, and Cape Ann exhibition opening on July the 22nd next year. Um, so lots of exciting things to come. 2023, put it in your calendars, everybody. I cannot <laughs> thank you all enough so, so much. Uh, one more thing. Uh, how does one get involved? Uh, whether it is in person or online. Uh, I, there have been lots of Facebook Live events uh, in case somebody's listening from I've had people uh, tune in from as far away as London and Moscow, uh, California. So, so, uh, what's the best way to get involved? Um, well, I'm happy just to encourage everyone to. Our website is a tremendous resource. If you're coming from further afield and you can't physically attend um, any museum events uh, in right now, um, the website is, a, is certainly a great resource. Uh, we have uh, regular newsletters around certain topics. Uh, that the museum offers. In addition, all of our programs now, and this is a great thing as a result of the pandemic, we have a vi small video camera and everything is live streamed. Uh, and uh, and so you don't have to, of course, watch it in real time. Uh, but if you go to the, what we call the CAM Video Vault, um, you'll find all of our uh, past lectures have been captured there, at least all the ones since the um, beginning of the pandemic. 
uh, and it's a wonderful resource. There are other lectures there going back to 1986. Um, and I'm holding up here, and I know that's for a podcast. It's not so helpful. It's okay. Um, I'll put it on the show notes. Program guide. <laughs> um, it's a program guide of, of exhibitions and events. It provides a summary of, of activities between October and December this year. So if you are in the local area, come into um, the museum and pick up one of these guides. And as I say, avail yourself of the museum as your resource. We'd love to see you, and we hope that you come um, often uh, to, to the Cape Ann Museum and the Cape Ann Museum Green. I'll just add that one way of um, supporting the museum is to become a member. Yes, yes, very true. <laughs> and anybody can do that, right? Yeah. We, we, we so welcome that. <laughs> <laughs> also can be done on the website, which I will link in the show notes and on the blog. So. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. Thank you all so, so very much. Oliver, Miranda, Amanda, Susie. It's just wonderful to talk Good. with you. Thank you. It's been a Thank pleasure. you. My pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, Thanks so Jen. much. Jen. Have a good afternoon, okay? You too. Thank, Thank you. Please visit the BGW blog, BeGreatWaters.com, for a transcript, pictures, and more info. That's the letter B, then Great Waters, all one word. If you feel so moved, please head over to my Patreon page, patreon.com bgw. There you'll find special perks for monthly supporters, including merch. If you aren't able to sign up for a Patreon at this time, but would like to support BGW, Please tell your family and friends about us, and if you can, leave a positive review in your podcast app. Positive reviews boost visibility for BGW or any other podcast you listen to, and us creators really appreciate it because it helps us bring you more content. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.